0: And others, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. How we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. where you have to eliminate the excuses. You gotta make that game plan say, for me to get to that point all right happy friday ladies and gentlemen we are here with episode number 79 of shut up and grind with your host Robert B. Foster. So we got some exciting mess with Tuesday's show a little bit, but thank you for those of you that made the shift over to Zoom. But I'm back home now in the home office, back to my studio, all is good, wired internet, and we're going to have a great show for you. So first off, we're going to talk about the grind gear. I know the warm weather is coming, depending on what part of the country you live in, it's already here. It was quite nice in North Carolina. But we got the Grind Gear, and it's shutupandgrindgear.com. Sales are actually pick, picking up quite nicely, so I appreciate the support. It helps the channel grow. And also, my group on Facebook, You know, I'm not saying only this person can talk about this or this group of people can talk about this topic. We're talking about everything because we're one race, we're all humans, and we're all going to discuss our opinions on these various topics. So I was nervous at first about filling up the schedule, but I'm booking into September already. So I I have starting June 7th. So I have all of June, all of July, all of August already filled with five panelists for each of these shows. So it's going to be awesome. So you'll definitely want to check that one out. And as always, if you have something that that you have inside of you that you want to turn into a story or a blog or a podcast, join my group. It's free. Speak about yourself out loud. It's right here on Facebook. I mean, I know I'm live on multiple platforms now, but it's on Facebook. And the direct link is speakaboutyourself.com. And I can help you craft that story so you can get your message out there. All right. So today... We're gonna have a nice conversation with my guest. She's got a very very background from education to law to entrepreneurship to coaching, and we're gonna go through that story. And we're gonna—I I, I, think—we're gonna wow you quite well today. So make sure you stay all the way to the end, or if you have to leave, make sure you come back and you catch the replay either here on Facebook, on YouTube, or at ShutUpAndGrind.me to get the audio. So, oh, also in that, too, we are now also on Amazon Music, we are on Audible, and we are on iHeartRadio. We are moving on up, and the 18th country has been added to the list now, so we're being heard in 18 different countries, and who would have thought that this was just a stupid idea that I came up with at first, and now it's it's getting there, so anyways, let's get into the story, so welcome my guest to the show, Shelly Simpson.
1: Thank you. Good morning. What a great day to be here with you. And I can't believe anybody ever thought your ideas were stupid. That's just, that just crazy. Um, but I've heard that too myself. So that's okay.
0: Yeah, it's always crazy until you do it. Exactly. <laughs> that's pretty much how it boils down. You know, like you get that that little bit of impasta syndrome because, you, you know, you got like Joe Rogan's uh, Podcast is out there, and all these athletes like Shannon Sharp, and, and it's like, who's going to listen to me? Like, why? Why are people going to listen to me? But then you you start getting out there, and as I always say, you step into your greatness, and then people follow you. So, like, the right people are going to follow you. So that's what's happening now.
1: Yeah, people are looking for the people to follow. That's that's what it is, and and you know the 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 it's not about the number of followers. It's that um, engagement with your followers. Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and what are you giving them? You know, it's like, we're not here just talking to hear ourselves talk.
1: Exactly. You know, it's, like, it's
0: like, I take, it's like, I started focusing on people's journeys because most people who, who listen to podcasts are trying to overcome something or they're trying to run towards something. And then sometimes people hit a roadblock and so by people coming on and sharing their stories, it's like you're letting other people know, all right, you know what, they got through this. I can get through this, you know? So like, so right. that's that's totally. the premise of this. And I think that's why it's continuing, it's continuing to grow. So enough about that. Let's talk about you. Okay. All right. So who is Shelly? If you had to describe yourself in 60 <sighs> seconds or less, how would I'm, you do
1: it? I am that person who is always open to opportunity, always looking to present opportunity. You can tell I've done everything from A to Z, from attorney to zealot to bartender to waitress to baker to everything because life is so exciting. And I already know that whatever you plan doesn't necessarily happen the way you expect it to happen. So I'm that person who says, oh, okay, we'll go that way.
0: Yes. It's all about pivoting. Yes. All right. So were, were you like like this even as a child or, or, or was it, did you develop this as you got older and matured?
1: It, it, it developed. I was that child who didn't do anything, who was, um, there were not opportunities. And I've thought about this a lot, thinking about myself growing up and being a loner, not really ever fitting in. Um, I think most kids feel like they don't fit in. That's mm. kind of a thing. Um, yeah but I didn't have a supportive family in the sense it was as dysfunctional as many. Um, But it was, I didn't talk a lot. I was a stutterer as a child. So I didn't open my mouth in school, which made it even worse and started to develop um, as I got through high school. And even then I, I went for the comfort zone. I followed what everybody said I should do. I got shut on so much. It was unbelievable. And then, I don't know what it is. I, I think some of us have like a, a resilient drink gene or something <laughs> that we tap into, or maybe we just get sick and tired of um, being shut on. And I was fortunate that I started to come out of myself and say, you know what? I don't have to be what everyone says and this isn't working for me and stepped out into the world and took a few chances and I, and I didn't die. <laughs>
0: I didn't
1: die. I I had a public speaking requirement as a senior in high school, and I really, literally, had never raised my hand in all of high school. I barely fell out of high school, Mm. and um, and it was required, so I did it, and um, and I didn't die. And then I shut up again for until I was in college, and I had another required course, and didn't die and put off law school because i didn't want to do the oral argument which is the scariest i mean things on my body showed i didn't know i had yeah and i fell in love with it and i have not stopped because you come into yourself if you try those hard things
0: yes no it's it's funny because i i dropped out i dropped out of college three three times most everyone knows that but one of the biggest reasons, was, it's so stupid. Well, I mean, the biggest reason was because I had Olympic dreams and th- then I hurt myself. And so I got, I, I got into a depression. But one of the biggest reasons was I did not want to take psychology at all, at all. And now everything I do now has to deal with mindset and thought process and mm-hmm. subconscious mind and conscious thoughts. It's like just the irony that everything I'm doing now is centered around, around that. So it's just funny how it all comes full circle. But I, too, was a stutterer. So, you know, like I don't think people people understand how brutal other people are, you know, a brutal. It's like you're just trying to to just speak normally and people like, you know, laughing and thinking it's funny. It's like it, you know, you, you deal with some serious bullying as a stutterer.
1: What was worse was that the speech therapist would come into the class and pull you out. I don't know how they did it, Mm. but we had that person and she'd come in and and pull you out of class. So now everybody's watching, you know, Mm. because mine wasn't that severe, but it was enough that I knew it was happening and I didn't want to speak. And I also would mispronounce words and Mm. the teacher, people mock you. Yeah. And And that, you know, when you're a kid, and you're already feeling out of it because none of us, you know, everything is wrong. <laughs> everything is just wrong. And and now you have something that's specific that they're telling you is wrong yeah. and making a spectacle out of you.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, so that's that's tough to deal with. So how were you able to get past that? Because I know I had to go to speech therapy, too. They, like, put these big headphones kind of like this, just bigger. <laughs> and, and, like, de- it delayed me hearing myself. Because they said that just my brain and my mouth were just not in sync. So did they do the same for you?
1: I, did, I outgrew it. I, it was just, um, I was fortunate. And I just stayed, I think, quiet long enough to process. And I, it still happens from yeah. time to time if I yeah, get yeah. Uh, really tired or mm-hmm. really, really angry. <laughs> it's very <laughs> hard. It, and I think it's a, it's a really good mechanism for not um, popping off something that's Kind of nasty. Yes, I get angry and frustrated, and I have to stop and mm. before I speak because yes. otherwise it's going to make it worse. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's still there, but I it it kind of dissipated over time. But it's funny that you went into the psychology piece. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. Mm. I was. Um, I'm trying that. Probably in middle school, I found a, a textbook. My uncle, um, I had an uncle who was a doctor, and I found his textbook and read through it. And I went to my mother and I said, I want to be a psychiatrist. And she said, oh, no, you don't want to do that. Because after 12 years of college, no man will marry you. (laughs) I went, okay, (laughs) then I'll just get married. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Number one, squashed. Wow. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that was really my fascination with neuroscience and how the mind works started very early um, mm. i didn't learn it until very late but
0: boy that that's like straight up clipping your wings. That's right. <laughs> I cut them right off. Yeah. Oh my Lord. So you had mentioned about resilience, like, and that's, that's everything when it comes to overcoming obstacles and dealing with opinionated people or an unsupportive family, like tapping into that resilience is huge. And the ones that have it can flourish in any environment. So, so again, is that something that you feel like you've always had, or did it just get stronger in you because because you said your, your family really wasn't that supportive?
1: I don't know. I think that's a question that, um, that lingers out. I, I'm not sure that even from a, a human physiology or human psychology standpoint, we know why people are a certain way. Yeah. I feel grateful that that was there. Um, I, there's no one else in my family who was like that. Mm -hmm. So it was something I recognized as I got older.
2: Uh, So smaller markets like Good Morning, (laughs) Memphis and Good Morning, Baton Rouge. And and so as I was driving across America for my nationwide book tour for the first book, I was still thinking every day about the dance studio vision. How do I build these dance studios uh, um, and and working on it sort of every day and reaching up to God in my meditations and prayers and um, trying to remain open. So for a lot of the ideas, I'll say that I don't really take credit. I kind of feel like it's just God coming through me. Um, I just feel like the vessel. So, um, yeah, th- that's a, a bit of the story. Is that this is kind of been a, a long, slow dream. I had been writing the dance studio ideas, the vision, the business plan since 2015, a couple months after Mike Brown fatally shot and killed in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, I was upset about racism, wanting to do something to support the black community. Uh, uh, moms and dads. Um, I mean, I, I've been upset about racism for a long time, but I hadn't started to study it in college. It was my minor, African-American studies. But uh, yeah, so <clears throat> um, it was really cool how the, the ideas came slowly, like little by little over a five-year period. It was it was never like a total epiphany on one day of everything.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, I just, was just curious. So now, so in your and you're wanting to battle racism. Have you encountered racism being a Caucasian person looking to help the black community?
2: Well, I've, I mean, I've seen it, but it's only sort of like towards my wife who's from West Africa or, okay. or and um, so our, we have two teenage boys and so they are biracial. And, and I coached them in sports for like eight years. Uh, we're outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And um, so, no, like, you know, I can't say that I have experienced racism towards me. It's, uh, but uh, yeah. So, um, uh, but you know, my wife has told me stories of, oh yeah, throughout the day when, I mean, when she'd come home and then we'd talk or sometimes when when I'm with her. um, And uh, yeah, you know, most, if she has experienced racism, I'll say in this day and age, it's mostly from people who are ignorant or they have fear and so they, you know, or they have like negative feelings towards others, like almost like hate towards others and they they lash out. Um, But I think racism in, I mean, this year, you and I are speaking in 2021. So if anyone sees this podcast in the future, you know, I'll say that nowadays I feel like racism is subtle, subtle. You know, we don't, uh, people might have closed minded thinking or thoughts of judgment, bias, prejudice, but not everyone says it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not like 1955. Yeah, uh, you know, back in the 50s, I think, you know, people were uh, felt you know more free to express themselves, and you know, didn't
0: well, race, it. racism was legal then. <laughs> there was still there was still segregation, and you know, the uh, Jim Crow laws and stuff. So yeah. it was legal then. But like one thing, one thing I'll say is that I wonder how much of it. I don't want to say is, I don't, want, I don't want to use the word manufactured, but for for example, I, w- I was up in Vermont and I was in a, li- a little market and I usually don't get baskets or cards. Like I whatever I can carry, that's all I need. So I just get what I can carry. And this younger, younger white kid kept staring down at me.
1: You
0: know, and then at first, at just at first, I'm like, why is this kid staring at me? You know, like, and, and I don't go straight to the whole skin color thing, but I was just curious as to why he kept staring at me. And, but then he starts walking towards me, and he's like, sir, would you like a basket? Know, know what I mean? So he was recognizing that I was overloaded, and that's why he was looking down at me. But I went on, like, how many times are we in a store, or a pers- is a person of color in the store, and a Caucasian person might glance over, and we just instantly think. They think I'm trying to steal something. <laughs> you know? It's like, do you think that happens a lot in your your exper- in your In opinion? I mean, I know we're talking a hypothetical here, but still.
2: Oh, you're saying in which a person of color assumes racism is happening, but you're saying it, it's not actually happening?
0: Well, well, I'm saying it's not it's not known. Like if someone glances at you and they glance away, you're interpreting what that glance meant. right. but but in their mind, you don't really know what yeah. they were thinking. Like another example is that I saw two girls walk and they were holding hands. They were kind of color coordinated. And stuff, so, and I glanced over, and I looked at. I was in my mind, I was like, they look really cute together, but I didn't say anything. And so one of the other girls looked at me, kind of flashed me a look, like a, a not positive look, thinking, you know. So she was, she must have been interpreting why I was looking at them when, in reality, they looked adorable. <laughs> you know, they look absolutely adorable. So that that just the, just those two instances just got me thinking. Like, I wonder how how many times that happens. Because one thing when discussing racism is people will say like, I go somewhere and and people are staring at me, and it's like, yeah, but you that doesn't mean it's necessarily racism. <laughs> you know. So so what are your thoughts on that?
2: Sure. I'm. I mean, I what your little stories there help me think about instances in which this probably happens on a daily basis. I mean, think about any big city like New York Mm -hmm. city subway system. And I lived in New York city for five years after college. And so those, I know the subways really well. And you know, at at certain times of the day, those subways can be very busy and um, yeah. So there must be, you know, we we're humans and we look at each other and we make observations and then we have thoughts or feelings. And so people are thinking things and, um yeah all the time we're always thinking and and but of course they don't always say what they're thinking so um
0: yeah. yeah yeah so yeah so it's left to to interpretation you know but but like that interpretation it's just that it's an interpretation you know like mm. that's not a fact so i just wanted to point point that part out all right so you're on this mission now to build these dance studios so why did you pick dance studio oh excellent again thank you I
2: somebody hasn't asked this question and uh, You know, or maybe ever Oh, Robert So awesome to be with you today you, really, Brilliant questions This is what I do Well, and I love sharing this part of the story I, I, And uh, so I Was coaching my two boys In sports for about eight years Youth soccer, youth basketball uh, we We're outside of Boston Mass, and so we're in the suburbs And so when the kids would play in soccer games against, you know, travel soccer, you play against the towns right around you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, travel basketball, you play against the towns or cities right near your town, your city, right? So uh, so we're in the suburbs and we'd play the towns around here. And so it's like a lot of little white boys. Okay, fine, no big deal. And again, you know, with my wife being from West Africa, our two bi- boys are biracial. And so I sometimes had that perspective where like my kid was the only black kid on the team. and but no big deal, like, everyone was nice. You know, I, I can't say that we experienced racism. Um, I just had that different perspective. And anyways, uh, when my older one was age 10, we started doing AAU basketball. I, I believe you're familiar with AAU. Oh, yeah, yep. Basketball tournaments. And um, so that, um, it was 2015, oh, 16, f- first time in my life as a white man that I got to see a youth basketball team with 13 black and brown boys. And I thought it was fantastic. It was wonderful. They were well coached. They had, you know, three or four coaches. The uniforms looked amazing. Uh, uh, They played so well. And, but I was curious. I'm like, oh, this is so great. And these tournaments, by the way, AAU basketball tournaments for people that don't know, it's a huge, like in a stadium and they break it into like 14 different courts. So you could have like 20 or 30 different youth basketball teams, all of the same age group playing against each other in a big tournament. And it lasts for like three days. So, My point of sharing this is that hundreds of boys are getting to this opportunity. And uh, so I was, I thought it was awesome, but I was curious, what do we have for black and brown girls, young women of color? And uh, I saw the same thing in Pop Warner football. Uh, Again, we're in the suburbs, so we would only play teams with a lot of little white boys. But around that time we started to play uh, Brockton Randolph. These are two diverse communities right near Boston. And it was the first time in my life as a white man, I got to see a youth football team with like 47 black and brown boys. And again, fantastic. They were well-organized, 10 coaches. I knew one of the coaches from, uh, it was an old high school friend. and uh, But again, curious, okay, this is great. What do we have for black and brown girls, young women of color here in Boston? And uh So at that time, I discovered the popularity of hip hop dance through reality TV. Maybe you know Miss Diana Williams. Oh, in fact, you do. Uh, She has the um, Dancing Dolls brand, multi million dollar brand now in the South with multiple locations, and uh, and then of course there are Netflix documentaries. Uh, We see it's popular at many colleges and universities with the marching band, and dance team, and cheer squad. So uh, yeah, so. It, um, it was you know cool to realize like, oh, this is something that black and brown girls are excited about, they, they wanna do it. It wasn't like, I was taking my boys for piano lessons for seven years and it was like pulling teeth. They just never wanted to go. I'm like, no, get your piano book. We're going, we're going, get your piano book. No, we're not quitting <laughs> so for like seven years. And uh, um, you know, so it was like hard to get them to do it. Whereas for dance and hip hop dance, for black and Brown girls, I realized it was not a hard sell. It was like, oh, they're already interested in this. They want to do it. They're excited about it. Um, and maybe the families like it too, because it's, you know, in ways, hip hop, uh, some of the dance moves come from African dance.
1: Okay.
2: Right. So uh, I realized that hip hop, you know, I mean, of course it comes out of the black experience in America, but it also helps to celebrate the diaspora, the, the, the tradition, the culture, the dance of the African diaspora, um, because some of the, dance moves are African in nature. So yeah, so I started to envision an Afrocentric dance studio. You know, I didn't know much about Afro-Cuban or Afro-Caribbean, but it, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's where the idea really started.
0: Love it, love it. So the first question I, I was gonna ask is, you know, there's, there's a pretty, pretty diverse population in the, under, the underserved communities. Like it's not all black and brown. So is it gonna be open to everyone with like a focus on black and brown?
2: So, um, right. And I realized I, there is one other nugget of that last story that I feel like helps to explain it. So I started to do research in the Boston area. I don't know if I told you this part before. Um, I drove all around Boston. And, Cause I thought, okay, do we have um, you know dance studios? So I, I, I found 22 dance studios out in the suburbs but of course it's out in the suburbs. So I'd walk in and it's like a hundred little white girls doing ballet or jazz or tap and you know, moms and dads pay fine. It's a dance studio uh, uh, in operation. Great. And, but then uh, I started to uh, explore in our black and brown neighborhoods here in Boston. Those are uh, Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, Hyde Park. And um, i as you know, with any smartphone you can just like put in like dance studio and drive to the location. Yeah. And I found five or six that had shut down, went out of business. Oh well. Wow. Um, and you know, I so I found two, but they were really small. It was not like uh, the robust, you know, Miss Diana with the dancing dolls, with hundreds of girls being, you know, having this opportunity. So that it was at that point where I realized, oh, we have all these opportunities for boys, black and brown boys here in Boston, but not as many opportunities for girls. So that's helped really push the idea forward. Um, and if yes, so to answer your question, uh, no. Of course, we will accept anyone who walks in the door. So right, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, international, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, but just because I saw all these dance studios all around the Boston area, but you know, not seeing them in our communities of color here in Boston, I realized uh, you know. And so part of it has to be like, let's get real. Like I, I you know, I, don't, I didn't want, I didn't want to do this to make money off of black moms or dads. I I thought it has to be low cost, affordable, or even free. So then I started to think, is it a charity? Is it a nonprofit? Um, And so one thing that I think is really beautiful about the dream is that I realized I I can't build these in like the downtown with skyscrapers and it needs to be in our black and brown neighborhoods so that it's convenient for the girls who live right there, right? Convenient for the moms and dads or whoever would bring the girl to her dance class, the, the aunt, the uncle, the grandmother, you know, it has to be convenient for the families. Uh, really good question, thank you.
0: <laughs> no problem. Yeah, no, it's definitely a great idea. And um, as you, if you remember from our last talk, like I'm a visionary. So like, as I'm listening to you talk, like <clears throat> you, you can probably, if that was a nonprofit, you can probably get grants to make that work and you can probably get donors. Like there's a school here in South Providence that my daughters went to called Community Prep. And when I tell you, it's like right smack in the hood. And it's it's a great school, but they have these wealthy, these wealthy people that sponsor each child. So like my daughter Olivia, she got I think it was thirteen thousand five hundred a year from from this family. And then we had to pay one twenty-five a month. So that was you no know, to go to to a private and uh, as far as like, like the education, the education was insane, you know, so like it wasn't like some cookie cutter program. It was a great, great school, but it, it was funded just from these wealthy, these wealthy people that just wanted to to help help the un- underprivileged youth. And so, like, I, I can see you putting together something, something like that, because I'm sure there's some well off people that want to help, you know, like maybe they can, you know, spot sponsor a child for this after school program. You know, so not to tell you what to do, but that's that's just how my mind works.
2: Right. <laughs> yes, I'll share that uh, I still have an open mind about it. So I I envisioned it as a business, but yeah, I um the last chapter of the second book, I think it's the last chapter. I I share that yeah, I, I have an open mind. It might end up being like a nonprofit that can accept grants. Perhaps that's the route we will go. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because
0: yeah, because even. You know, I, like, I don't understand why why people get bent out of shape about nonprofit, like the people who run nonprofits that they make money to, but it's like, but you're okay with like the CEO of Marlboro who, do, who spends, who, you know, helps people basically die and get cancer with his product, but it's okay that he's a multimillionaire, but like the CEO of the Make-A-Wish Foundation gets hated on when he's given thousands of kids, you know, their, their final experiences, you know, b- b- before they pass, like, I don't understand why that's an issue, <laughs> you know? So it's like, you can still take care of yourself and your family with this nonprofit because the mission, the mission doesn't change any, but you should, should be compensated for your time.
2: Oh, that's a good point. Right. Uh, you're talking about the salary and uh, packages for, yeah. yes, the top level management. Right sure i agree
0: yeah. yeah so yeah like i know people people get get hated on for that but it's like <laughs> it's like don't you go to work to get paid it's like i'm going to work too <laughs> yeah. it's the exact same thing all right so how soon do you think or just do you have a timetable for when the first one could be ready
2: right okay so uh to answer that i'll say that it, um, you know, these business plans, this vision for the Dance Studio Company, uh, again, 14 dance studios, 14 major American cities, uh, and I i realized the dream is so beautiful. It's so awesome. I'm so excited about it. And it's kind of like that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Yes. So- and. So it was, believe it or not, only a couple months ago, October of 2020, in which I, you know, I had like 85 pages written of the dance studio vision, the dancewear, the after-school schedule, uh, all the details of like how how to run it all and the hiring of dance instructors, like the full business plan. And I didn't think it was going to be a book. It was only at that time, a couple months ago, where I I had like a, a vision and uh, an epiphany, and had the courage to realize, oh my god, I just have to put it out there. It's so beautiful that um, it's like an ask to the universe. And I realized I had to, yeah, turn it into a book. So it was only a couple months ago where I thought, oh my gosh, I should just like publish this and put it out as a book because I'm going to need some help and <laughs> team. <laughs> um, and I thought, how can I, how can I get started? I don't have any cash flow. I can't hire employees now. And I realized, oh, I could get some interns. So I have right now I have 10 college interns from seven different HBCUs. Nice. And um, and so we are you know, talking about early steps. Like, how do I get the first location? Like, maybe even in the summer, can I find business partners? Can I find a, a, a location for the first dance studio? You know, how do I just start making it happen? You know, even before having J-Lo give me four million dollars.
0: <laughs> that, that would be amazing, huh? <laughs> oh God, no, but the, I love I love the concept. love the concept a lot. And so will would, would you tie in, say, life lessons that may be lacking in those communities? you know, in saying that like, you know, there are a good a higher percentage of darker skin people are growing up like with, without a father. You know, or a father in prison, or you know, you know, parent, uh, a mom who might be a workahol- workaholic, or you know, there's so, so many different issues that, that are plaguing the inner cities. So, like, will there be maybe a central theme behind the dance? Have you thought of anything like that?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, right. So, many lessons that, that could be shared. So, I, I'm imagining. Uh, motivational speakers, uh, guest speakers, workshops in which we can help to inspire and educate these young women um, on topics of financial literacy and, and life skills. Because I, I'll share that, you know, I acknowledge that at the heart of this mission, is, it's not really about dance.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, at the basic level, like on a day to day basis, it's about listening to your dance instructor and paying attention. Follow along. Uh, be quiet. You know, support the girls on your team. You're getting exercise. You're making new friends. Uh, these are valuable life skills. You know, if you're on a dance team, you can't. You know, you shouldn't be talking when the dance instructor is talking. Um, and so, uh, you know, if she's the leader and we're learning this new dance, things like that. Are life skills. But uh, but then also, it has to be about inspiring these young women to dream big, and we want you to you know, do whatever you can do and be all you can be. So. Yes. Yes. Can you like, you know, sit on boards of major corporations? Can you, um, we want you to become doctors and lawyers and uh, we need you to please become senators and governors and we need you to dream big. So yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to, you know, incorporate motivational speakers or workshops so that we keep um, sharing those very vital lessons that we all need. Good question.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Like I do that with my fitness people. Like I tell people, They'll say, oh, you're a trainer, right? Like, I'm not a trainer. I said, I'm a personal development coach. I said, I just happen to use fitness as the vehicle. You know, so like with with you, you know, dance is going to be your vehicle. But I was just curious if there was a higher mission. So like when people come to me, I don't, you know, my sole goal isn't just help them lose weight or put on muscle. You know, so I, got, I go deep into, all right, where are you? Where, where are you currently? Where do you want to get? Because in order to get there, you have to become someone different. You know, like it's just how it is. Because right now you're, you're lazy. You're an excuse maker. You don't prioritize yourself. And I go right down the list. Like if you stay as that person, you're never going to get here. So now you have to become more confident. You got to have better self-esteem. You got to be disciplined. You got to be regimented. You know, like and you have to you have to do all these steps if you want to get here. So like I envision something like that happening with with these young girls. Ah, uh, yes, exactly. Definitely. So now, so now the, to finish the thought. Sorry, I, my throat was getting dry. So I coached basketball in uh, the city up in Providence. And it was it was quite it was quite the experience. I, I have to say, because I told you, I mean, like I grew up from. A very strong, structured, well-structured household. You know, it's like we weren't rich by any means, but we weren't poor either. You know, so it's like we we were raised well, and my my parents just hammered values into us that are still here today. <laughs> you know, just there's I can still hear hear my dad's voice ringing in my head when I have doubts about something. You know, God rest his soul. But when I was coaching these girls. There's just just a lot, just so much to unpack. Like you can tell what's going on in their household or what's lacking in their household. You know, so same thing. So as we were, myself and uh, my assistant coach, as we were coaching these girls, we were constantly giving life lessons. And, you know, same thing about respect. You know, don't talk when I'm talking. You know, you know, sit up sit up tall. You know, and when you talk, speak with, with authority. Like, like be assertive. You know, teaching them how to be confident. You know, the difference between confidence and cockiness and just the work ethic. It's like, you know, it's, it's OK if we lose, but we play to win. You know, it's like, it's like I don't I don't like when you tell kids that winning doesn't matter because in life it matters. It matters a lot. So like if you apply for a job, don't you want, want the job? Yeah, that's called winning. You have to beat out the other applicants. That's right. You have to get in front of that interviewer and wow them. So like we're raising these kids to really to just be average. You know, so like we we instilled it into these the, to these girls that average isn't the goal. It's like greatness is the goal. Then if you land on excellent, that's still good.
2: Excellent. Yes, I love it. I agree. Wonderful. Yes.
0: All right. So you just launched the second book in March, right? That's right. Mm hmm. OK. And how'd that go so far?
2: Oh, wonderful. I I, I I can share something that I don't think I told you before. Um. And, uh, about the book launch, because I realized, um, so I don't know if you've spent much time on the new app. It's a club and it also with the word house.
0: <laughs> no, cause I'm on team Android, so they don't have that for us yet. <laughs>
2: yeah. so, uh, um, so I'll share that. It's, you know, these public rooms, public conversations, like uh, a conversation is going on. And it's sort of like if you walked into the room, you're just in the audience and you, you can't speak. Um, you can only speak if you're like on stage as a moderator or a panelist. And um, so so I thought it was a good platform because these rooms fill up quickly and suddenly you could have like 100 people listening to you. And I thought, oh, perfect for a book launch. And uh, so back in January, I, I started networking and reaching out to uh, like um, amazing women of color and some men. Uh, black men that were kicking butt on the new app and, and, and doing well on Instagram, like bloggers and influencers. And, you know, I was looking for people that are really active on social media that could, you know, would be willing to like, listen to my story, hear the vision, and then maybe stand next to me on stage. Yes. On the new app. You see, cause, cause I thought, you know, going public with this, I mean, here I am as a white man entering this space, you know, I'm talking about hip hop. I'm talking about what's best for black and brown girls, you know, as a white man. So I thought, you know, before I just go out there, I thought I need, you know, how can I make new friends and develop some credibility in the black community? And so that was important for me. So I had for each of the three nights I had like nine or 10 amazing black women standing next to me that, you know, were there to say, I support Adam. This is a great vision. Um, I know it it might sound crazy, but it's, it's beautiful. We like it. We're here to support Adam. So, so that was really cool. Um, to, um, and, and you can see some of those women are on my Instagram. We've done Instagram Lives together. And you know, that was really important. I thought I need people of color standing next to me that you know can validate and say, okay, uh, this, is, this is really cool. His heart's in the right place. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like, and it's just so sad that, that we have to take that step. It's like, why can't it just be embraced that this man wants to help these young girls? You know what I mean? It's like we, we we have we attach race and gender to everything because mm-hmm. I hear it when I say I do women's empowerment groups. And they're like, well, why do you do women's empowerment groups? You know, you're a man. Said, that doesn't that doesn't mean I can't empower women. It's like if you're looking for empowerment and I can give it, who cares what my gender is? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so same same thing. Like if you if your passion is to help these young girls of color. Then you've, you you followed that passion. Like it shouldn't matter. Oh, oh, why is a white man gonna gonna do this? You know what I mean? Like isn't that what we want? Like don't we want inclusion? It's like we want inclusion, but yet subliminally we still preach separation. And that's why I wanted to ask you about critical race theory, because I feel that's what that's doing. You know, like it's not it's not teaching integration. It's teaching separation because everything is being segmented by race like isn't that what what we were fighting against all of this time like what are your thoughts on it okay
2: uh well i will share first of all that i think regarding like my book and the book launch and the mission i feel like you know i'm trying often to think of it from like a, a ceo perspective because hmm. i'm trying to launch this i mean this is not going to be some small business i'm talking about. I'm serious about I'm building 14 dance studios, 14 major American cities. You know, I, I sort of, you know, I envision it like the McDonald's of, mm. of you know, like uh, up and down the East Coast. Uh, the, the 14 cities are listed in the book. So I've got a grand vision coming for book number three about how I'm going to really do it all. And um, uh, but, yeah, so I, you know, I felt like and you would understand that sort of corporate angle, like, you know, instead of me just going out there and then. You know uh there are of course people out there that judge right away and and don't have the best of intentions and they don't give you the benefit of the doubt yes. and so there are you know there' are so many people with negative thinking closed minded thinking uh uh and and I thought you know instead of incurring negative energy right away, I thought, okay I, this is something I have to do that's right I need of course, from a corporate perspective almost i it's smarter for me from a this endeavor, this business endeavor, or if it's a nonprofit endeavor, whatever it is, it, this mission. I, I thought, yes, I need, you know, people of color standing next to me that can vouch for me. And so, you know, your point on, Oh, isn't that sad that we still need that? I mean, I, I, I guess that uh, I'll say that, you know, I think people and their minds and, and, and where we are in sort of uh, our human evolution, our brains and, connected to society, I feel like not everyone is there yet. Yeah. Um, you know, so I just, I'm just being honest about the fact that it's like, rather than um, have me incur any sort of negative energy, I thought, you know, how can I keep this all positive, a hundred percent positive, like a win, win, win for, you know, everyone involved. And so, mm. um, right. But, uh, and, and finally, I'll say that, Uh, the context is important too. Like we can't, you know, I I say at the beginning of the book, by the way, that I don't want anyone, oh, judging me and saying, oh, Adam's trying to take advantage of the situation after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Yeah. You know, so I say this at the very beginning of the book that um, I, I I, I started writing these ideas in 2015, you know, five years before George Floyd, five years before Breonna Taylor. Um, I started writing these ideas after Ferguson, Missouri, uh, Mike Brown, Fatally yeah. shot, killed. And, you know, I was upset about police brutality and police aggression, but, um, and racism, but yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, I guess I'll,
0: I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So like an example of why I asked that is here down in South Kingstown, there's like this big push about you know, pu- pushing in you know, the, the critical race ideology into schools. And so, in one of the of the schools down there, the one of the classes read a book, and the cover of the book I don't remember the name of, it, but the cover of the book shows a police car with a young a young black kid with his hands in the air, and then it go it just goes through talking about police brutality. But but, but now we're talking to kids. You know what I mean? It's like we're talking to kids now. For me, I'm a very rational rational thinker. You know, so I know. It doesn't happen like that all the time. I mean, I'm 46 years old. I've gotten pulled over my share of time. I've gotten pulled over intoxicated twice. And one of the cops followed me home. You know, with, with, with the other one, I was so close to home. He he just let, let me go. I got pulled over three months ago, uh, maybe six months ago. Because I forgot, you know, the DMV gave us gave us an extension on our registrations. Because the DMV was all closed because of the pandemic. And I just forgot about it. So the cop pulls me over. I had an unregistered vehicle. He he could have impounded the vehicle and inconvenienced me. He didn't. He's like, just get that done done asap. So like like I personally have never had an issue with it, but I just feel like when there is an issue, it's bombarded all over the media and all over social media that we think it happens more often than it actually does, and then the cops are being unfairly targeted. So I I just think it's dangerous pointing, putting that image into these young kids' heads, then heaven forbid they do get pulled over, they react irrationally, and then issues happen. Like, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think you make a valid point. If we, um, the, the media sensationalizes uh, uh, images, and so if we um, keep seeing those kinds of negative images like um, a, a, a bad situation with a cop pulling over a young black man, let's say, and, and how it goes down. Um, um, but, uh, well, I feel like the problem of racism in America is, is just so big and so great that we, we're we're probably, you know, good hearted people and good minded people that have the best of intentions. I think we're, we're, you know, going at it from many different angles. Like how do we eradicate racism? How do we remove racism from the system and the structural, you know, throughout America? Um, And so I I can understand uh, why individuals are wanting to, uh, you know, make this an issue because we still have a problem And, and, and black and brown men and women are still getting shot and killed in the streets of America. So it is still happening. And it, you know, it seems that, you know, I understand, you know, I will say that unfortunately it paints police with a broad brush that all police are bad or all are racist. And that's, that is unfortunate because I know some police officers in my town and these are normal moms and dads that are normal, good people. And they, I don't believe them to be racist. And I, and, uh. So yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, it is happening. You're right, because it is a broad brush and the media likes the sensational images. Um, but I, I just feel like we're in process. We're just sort of in this like weird mixture at this time of sort of modern American history. And perhaps in 200 years, we will have moved beyond and we'll, we're going to have only robots pulling people over. So then the <laughs> robot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful that we'll get there. But man, there's a lot of dynamic changes going on right now? Good question.
0: Thank you. Yeah, like I had said before, you know, there are still people alive that that were here during segregation, you know, and it's like, so say 30 years from now, most likely they, they will all have passed on. So I was like, you know, now is the perfect time to educate our younger people on just, okay, it's not to say ignore that that stuff happened. I'm not saying that, like, it should definitely be taught. But, just the ideologies with the critical race theory. It's almost like you're vilifying whites, and I don't think that's right. You're vilifying whites and you're vilifying police officers, you know, and that and that's just not not right. And what some of the school, what some of the school departments, like my old high school, I'm actually speaking at at their um at their school the school committee meeting against it. Is like they're talking about hiring certain practices and X amount of people. And I was like, that's exactly what we don't want. <laughs> I'm like, we're going backwards. You know, it's like, like, if you want equality, it's got to be across the board. It's like, we can't have selective equality. It's like, you can't, all right. So for this group, you guys have to jump through more, more hoops and you guys will get an easier pick because you're underserved. Like, but, but that's not equality. That, that's just taking the balance and just flipping it. You know, it's like you you want to hire the best person, whoever's the most qualified and whites outnumber blacks four to one. You know what I mean? So like things can't be 50 50. You know, there's 160 million whites. There's 40 million blacks like things can't be 50 50. It's like I don't understand why why that's not easily understood. You know, what are your thoughts?
2: So, I mean, it sounds like you're also against affirmative action. Am I misunderstanding? I am.
0: I am I mm-hmm. believe that the that the best person qualified should, should, should get the job are people gonna have prejudices? yes they are but that but that happens that happens everywhere like I'm sure when you start expanding your team you know like you you have visions of what you might want if, if you have a front desk person you know you're, like, you're gonna have a vision of what you want that person to, to somewhat look like and what skills you want them to have like that's normal it's not racist that's normal you know, like if I'm casting a movie and I want a heavyset Asian to play X role, like that's the role you want them to play. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. That's just that's just my opinion on it. But as I said, my parents always taught us that, you know, everyone will always see the color of your skin, but it's up to me to help them see past it. And then one of my business coaches, this what this wasn't about race, but she she just always says, Be so good that they can't ignore you. You I know. know, so So, so like, that's just my mentality. Like in every job that I've said, I don't want to say I've gotten every single one, but most jobs and I've worked usually in predominant white areas. I've ascended the ladder in every single, every single one of them, you know? So like, I'm just up a different mindset because I don't go into it defeating myself. I go into it with like, you guys are playing second place.
1: Mm.
0: And I just think if we shift that mentality from always being on the defensive to like, dude, step into your power. And go rock that interview, you know what I mean? Then I think we'll, we'll we'll start to naturally see see a shift instead of trying to put in these ideologies and these laws to to force it to happen. Like just let blacks know. Listen, you could do whatever you want to do. Said so you got a good brain. I said let's just put some action behind that brain and let's get you where you need to be. I think that's more powerful than any legislation.
2: Wow, I you know, it's interesting. I I appreciate you being so honest with your thoughts and opinions because you see, I'm still new to this journey about appearing on podcasts and I haven't really, you know, I haven't gone political yet. I haven't really had, I've only been talking about the mission and the books. And so, you know, I mean, I, uh, so I, I, um, anyways, I feel like I don't want to get off topic though. I don't want to, maybe I'll let you bring us back.
0: Well, What what I just said, where it's relevant is from what I asked you earlier, like if if, if there's going to be some bigger, bigger lessons through your dance.
1: Mm.
0: So like that's that's how I was tying the two in. Because I think what you're planning is way more important than critical race theory in schools is like getting this group of underserved young girls. And teaching them respect, teaching them confidence, you know, teaching, you know, improving their work ethic and teaching them how to work as a team. You you know I mean? I think those values is what's needed. Critical race theory is not, you know, like I said, especially if we want equality, we have to stop separating everyone. Right. So, I mean,
2: I feel like I appreciate you going here because I, you know, I'm envisioning myself like, being on radio programs like uh, The Breakfast Club. Uh, and so, or I, I want to be if, you know, and so I am I, planning a big book tour for this summer. I'm trying to think how can I do an East Coast, you know, up and down, can I, you know, swing through Atlanta and Charlotte? And um, so I'm trying to do, uh, especially in the South too, of course, because, you know, with larger black audiences and, you know, thinking about who will support me on the mission and trying to get on radio show programs, So of course I'm going to encounter questions like this, you know? So yes. I guess, you know, and I have to, I, you know, I'm wondering if, should I just stick to the book and the mission or, you know, should I talk about these things? Cause I, I, I feel like at this time, I feel like I don't agree with you. I feel like things are not equal and not fair for black people. And I feel like uh, uh, affirmative action is helpful and that we do need to think about how can we, get like more black and brown teachers into the schools. Uh, you know, for example, at my high school where I teach, we don't have any. We just hired uh, like an assistant director of diversity, inclusion, equity. You know, the, the, that It's a classic role in many school districts. And I mean, I think it's a step in the right direction, but anyway, so fine. Uh, you know, I, I'm just gonna, I, I guess I'll just leave it there, but I appreciate your honesty.
0: No, no problem. See, and, and again, with programs like yours as well, cause like one way to improve getting more teachers or getting young kids as, you know, uh, educators, as engineers, as what, you know, whatever the industry is, you know, CEOs and man- managers is to decrease the dropout rate in those communities. You know, because like I'm working on a program here for the downtown schools, because like the, the the state actually took over the Providence school system, you know, because like it was just so poorly run. And I just think, You know, if we can get these kids to graduate, keep them off of the streets Mm -hmm. and then we'll have a much better chance of seeing that that level of diversity. But like I said, but it takes programs like like yours, you know, like the other stuff. I mean, I'm not saying it's not helpful, but it's still it doesn't it doesn't help you achieve what you want to achieve because it's still based on the color of your skin. You know, so to have equality, it, ha- it truly has to be across the board, mm. you know.
2: Um, and perhaps we'll get there someday.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely will. But ju- but just, you know, things like I said, I just feel like things like critical race theory is a step backwards. You know, that's my thing, because like now we're going to start indoctrinating the kids at a young age that there's clear differences between the races,
1: mm.
0: you know, that's so great. I don't know. <laughs> and, and and like I said, it's good, too, that, that you don't disagree. I, I mean, that you don't agree because we don't have to agree on everything. Like, that's the beauty of having conversations. You know, it's like I can take your, your perspective and I see where you're coming from. You know, I think you see, you know, where I'm coming from. And then somewhere in there, we can find common ground. Because, like, starting on June 7th, I'm actually going to shift my Sunday show to Monday's and it's going to be a debate panel every single monday. And right now I filled up all of june and half of july already. <laughs> so and I just I just placed an ad on backstage just 2 days ago. And I've already found that 5 10 15 20 25. I've already found 30 guests. So five five panelists plus myself each show. You know. So yeah. uh, if you want in on that I'll send you the link for it. Okay. But, But we're going to have talks just like this because, you know, sometimes things can get fiery and people are yelling at each other and all that. And so, like, I put in my ad, if you're easily triggered, this is not for you. Like, if you can't handle if you can't handle being disagreed with, this is not for you. Because the part the point of a debate show is to show different points of view. You know, so so it, at the end of it, it's not like yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, chances are, we're still going to disagree by the end of the show. But at least we can appreciate where everyone else is coming from, provided they can articulate it. You know, in a good manner. Yes.
2: Uh, so, I uh, if I could, um, I want to mention my books and where people can oh, yeah. buy. And do, okay, great. Do you? Uh, and then can you check your Instagram quick? Send a little Instagram DM or Facebook Messenger. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you, are, I forgot, I didn't mention the book at the beginning. The title "50 uh, Days to a Better Investment" is the second book. That's about the dance studio vision. "50 Days to a Better Life" is my first book on overcoming alcoholism, uh, anxiety, and depression, changing your life. Yes, uh, these books are available: at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or you can uh, go through my website, ChakaNetwork.com. Um, uh, yeah, thanks so much again. The first book: Overcoming Alcoholism, "50 Days to a Better Life." And the second book on the dance studio vision, 50 days to a better investment. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.
0: Love it. Love it. Thank you very much for being here. I know you got to run, so you can go ahead and head out. And um, and again, if, if you want in on one of those debate panels, let me know, because it's a different link for that one. And uh, if you want, yeah. in, I'll, I'll send it yeah. to you. Okay. Yeah. And so I know toward, towards the end, you know, it's like we shifted gears, but, but we didn't really. Because what you're proposing addresses what we discussed, you yeah. know what I mean. So just maybe from a different angle, but it's you know it, it's all it all ties in together. So awesome. good 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 luck in that endeavor, and I have no no doubt that you'll get your 14 cities. And um, if if you need, need a hype man on one of your tours, let, let me know. Maybe I'll join you and uh, you know give you give you some some support because I love the mission, absolutely do.
2: Excellent! Wow, thank you so much, Robert.
0: Awesome. All right, sir. Thank you. Have a great day.
2: Thank you. All
0: right, all right. So this finishes up episode number seventy-seven. It was Adam who's got got his mission to open up fourteen dance studios in fourteen major cities around America to help underserved youth, primarily in the black and brown community, but it's open to anyone in that area. And I think it's amazing because these young kids need to know that they have that, that they have choices. They need to know that they can become. Who they want to become they have to know that yeah there may be obstacles but you're strong enough to get past those obstacles and that's a great mission and i have no doubt that he's gonna he's gonna accomplish that with his with his dance studios and just his passion for it all right so that's all i got for you again ChakaNetwork.com. if you want to check out his book or just follow up on his work and that's it for me i am signing off i'll be back in an hour with Denise, Denise, I believe her name is. All right, take care.
3: You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at Robert underscore B underscore Foster on Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster till next time, shut up and grind up and grind. on twitter at rbf underscore fitness and on facebook at robert b foster till next time shut up and grind
0: have you thought about starting your own podcast well if you have then you want to download anchor it's the easiest way that you can make a podcast They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts podcast and others you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership so if you were thinking of starting your own podcast you want to download the anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started
3: you've been listening to shut up and grind On Twitter at rbf underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind. I
1: want to? I want to make it my way.
0: Yes, and yeah, exactly. I don't
1: want someone else deciding how much I get. Yep, that's, exactly. that's we get played our value you put value on the table, you get paid. Um, it's important to to not dismiss that. But yeah, I knew exactly the life I wanted. The funny part was I was 59 years old. And they said when one of my my mentors said, you know, this is really an opportunity for personal and professional growth. And I said, oh, I'm 59. I'm fully formed. Just tell me what to
0: do. <laughs> I'm fully formed. Oh
1: born. my God. Oh my God, was I wrong? I have grown so much and learned so much by virtue of meeting different people and having to step up and be responsible for helping someone else be successful. Yes. Is, that's a responsibility. And so that grows you. And just becoming healthier because I had to be. I had to be what I'm selling. You can't, you can't sell something you don't believe in. You can't yes. be out there saying, "Oh, uh, you know, Judas,
3: <laughs> I yeah.
1: don't. You do it. You know, too yeah, late for right. me." Um, so that has helped as well, and um, and just being part of something that's bigger, and being a, a a true citizen of the world because we are, and and that's important. So it's it's been quite a journey to be continued.
0: Yes, <laughs> always, always to be continued. Yes, yeah. yeah, so final words for me is just exactly as she- Shelley said, you know, find what you love, feel it, see it, go get it, you know, step into your greatness because you you have greatness. So and I tell people when when I go on these little mon- monologues, I'm talking to that person that has the entrepreneur spirit inside of them, but they're trapped in corporate America. You know, like that's the one that this message is for, or, or there's someone that like you have it and you just don't know how to hone the skills. This message is for you. And you just, if it's something that you can do on your own, like if you want to become a speaker, start speaking. <laughs> it's that simple. Just start speaking. If you want to become a writer, start writing. You want to start a podcast, take out, take out your camera phone. Just start right here and just videotape yourself. If you have something that you can sell, start selling it. Like like you don't need anything else. Just start. You can sell on Facebook Marketplace. It's free. <laughs> you know, it's free, right. right? So just get started. Then when you're ready to go into something bigger, get a mentor. I had a mentor. You had a mentor, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Right?
0: And the the 70 plus other people I've had on this show have all had mentors at some point. So find someone that's doing what you want to accomplish and let them help you. Let them guide you so you can find the true power that you desire. Shelly, thank you very much for being here.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you.
0: My pleasure. appreciate you being here. You have yourself a great day. You too. All right. Bye. There we go. Boom. All right. So that was Shelly dropping some knowledge and experience on us. I want to see her her sites again? Here's the first one: Shelly Simpson. That's S H E L L E Y Simpson. The way it sounds. JuicePlus. Com. And the other one, it just sub out the Juice Plus for TowerGarden. towergarden.com. All right. So you can check her out there. That is all we have for you today on episode 79. We'll be back on Sunday with George for episode number 80. So as you guys know, you got mountains in your life. Everybody has them. You can't change the mountain, but you can change your ability to climb it. All right. So keep working on yourself and focus in on what it is you want to do. And damn it. Just go do it. All right. Enjoy your weekend.
3: You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind.